out here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shields up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What's happening? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a Star Trek Discovery podcast from the very embarrassed makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing today, Adam? You know how there's a Maker magazine? Uh-huh. I wish there was Embarrassed Maker magazine <laughs> and a family of products for creatives who are embarrassed by what they've created. Yeah, some kind of a festival where we can show off the things we're embarrassed to have made. Yeah, that'd be um, nice. <laughs> that would be great. This is uh, this is a show that we've decided to keep uh, as a Tuesday show, despite the fact that Star Trek Discovery now comes out on Thursdays rather than right. Sundays. We've got a little guff for that. <laughs> Who's giving us guff? I don't know, people saying like, wow, it's surprising that you guys are waiting this long to put up your thoughts. I'm not even trying to hear any guff anymore, man. Yeah. No more guff, okay? I mean, people is... are welcome to, to guff in our general direction, but I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm not trying to hear that. I'm, um, uh, I'm muting the guff, Ben. I'm just saying, like, uh, you know, like we're trying, to, we're trying to make the best show we can, and uh, we have discovered, <laughs> no pun intended, that it takes a little time to do that. It's a free show. We owe these people nothing. <laughs> You know somebody that we do owe something, Adam? Who? Is our, our buddy J.K. Woodward. Oh, yeah? He just sent me a page from uh, his his most recent uh, comic book for uh, for IDW Publishing. It's a, it's a Captain Picard story. And uh, on page 10 of this, you and I are, are seen to defend Picard in some kind of phaser fight. And uh, and and we both take bullets in the back, so he <laughs> like actually a had sucker. us. He actually uh, had us like send in some photographs of ourselves making various uh, various facial expressions, like awesome action facial expression, and then getting one in the back facial expression. Yeah, this is like one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. <laughs> um, so he sent you the original artwork for it. This is not. This is not the comic that he sent you. He sent you the real thing. He sent me the real thing. Yeah, I have. Wow. Uh, it's like it's hand hand penciled and hand painted. Wow, um, that's gorgeous. You wanna you wanna Jackie and Lori me that? I will. Yeah, let me uh, let me do that right now. Hard to believe that you and I are after this going to be cemented into canon, though. Uh, that comic will come out the day after this episode does, so I guess there's still time to. To recall all of the shipments and burn them like they should be. <laughs> yeah, so he gave me some uh, some great resources. If uh, if you'd like to go out and get the comic, yeah. So this is uh, from the IDW twenty twenty Star Trek comic, and uh, it is yeah, it's it is on the verge of being out. Um, you know, I think the the strong encouragement here is go buy it in your local comic shop. And there's actually a website, comicshoplocator.com, that will help you find one if you, if you're not already aware of where your closest comic shop is. Yeah. You know, as you as you board the podcast, take a look around for your local comic shop. <laughs> it may be behind you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but, uh, you know, we use um, that Comixology app sometimes on this show, and it'll be on that. And uh, and he said he's even going to send us some, like, nice printouts of, of the pages that we're on. So uh, so maybe we'll uh, do, like, a giveaway or something. But I just really wanted to say thank you to JK. Yeah. And uh, that was uh, super-duper cool of, of him to, to send it. J.K. Woodward's a great uh, friend of the show and friend of DeSoto, so thanks a lot. Thanks for sending Ben uh, this this beautiful rendering of the both of us. I'm holding out for the next one, Ben, that depicts us mid-coitus. <laughs> In J.K.'s defense, he asked which one of us he should send it to, and I said it should go to you because you're more the foreground actor here. I think I think it's only right. If I were making artwork of us, I would put myself in the background too. Yeah, and I, I think that there was a, a second page that he he uh, may have sold to somebody on like a Star Trek cruise or something. Oh. But uh, JK is also on a uh, a Star Trek Discovery podcast of his own. It's true. Called Go Trek Yourself. So if you if if you're not sated by the greatest Discovery and want to uh to check out another star trek discovery podcast every week i would highly recommend you start with that one if you're out there bang banging disco pods yeah can't do any better than those two haven't heard enough opinions about the show (laughs) yeah i've got opinions ben i'm full of them yeah dump them out i want to hear those opinions adam star trek discovery season two episode two it's called new eden those two words kind of blend together. New, New Eden. Eden. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to open up a pot store called New Eden <laughs> for, for newcomers to, uh, to vaporizing marijuana. Wow. That's, uh, <laughs> that'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> that is doomed to fail. That's legal now, Adam. I know. We open with Michael Burnham sharing what she found in Spock's quarters via Spock's audio log in what looks like uh, the new ready room. Because uh, when you're working on, a, on one of your smallest starships, <laughs> you're going to potentially want to knock down a wall. <laughs> Make sure that you check for load-bearing walls and structures. We've brought in some fashionable mid-century modern furniture to complement some of the more high-tech pieces of equipment scattered about the room. To make yourself look more more cultured, I like to use antiques. <laughs> that way, people mistake your love of older objects as a personality. <laughs> I think that like one of the most interesting themes in this episode episode is what should you tell your boss yeah and uh and you know michael burnham has had a patchy past with what should and should not be uh sent up the ladder to the boss and um and i thought it was good that in this scene like she's she's showing pike exactly what she found she's not keeping this under her hat she's not doing some weird i'm protecting spock so i'm not going to tell people that he knew about the red flashes before everyone else thing right um and pike uh responds to her candor with some candor of his own spock is not uh is not on vacay finding himself he is uh he has checked himself into a psychiatric hospital 
Right. It's the kind of hospital that uh, will listen to your request to not tell your family members that you're there. Right. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how where that fits into the like HIPAA regulations, yeah. but maybe that's a thing. I don't know. Yeah, I think so. What's interesting about what's in the log is that uh, Spock's had premonitions of these seven signals months ahead of the moment they appeared. And so they do a nifty bit of uh, holograph masturbation in which they like <laughs> throw up uh, Spock's rendering and compare it to the actual uh, Starfield rendering of their locations. And they match up pretty perfectly in a, in a spooky kind of way. This puts some some urgency in in the mission. They're like having a heart to heart about what it's like to grow up in a in a family that is not super close, a confusing household in in Pike's uh, words. Um, a bit of a <laughs> a bit of a uh, a stretch to say that having a dad who had two different careers <laughs> simultaneously is anything like growing up as a human in a Vulcan household with a half human brother. After but, uh, your parents have been murdered. Yeah, like, I love that Pike's trying to find common cause with her, but, like, <laughs> he doesn't really have that. Yeah, she uh, seems to be winding up for calling him out on the carpet for his false false equivalency when they get uh, called up to the bridge. N- more more red flashes are being detected. They come up with a uh, a quick and dirty way to get a fix on this thing. And it turns out they're going to have to fire up the spore drive to get to it because it's like over a hundred thousand light years away. It's a, it's a Voyager amount of distance from where they are. Almost equal to the leap that they are considering making is the leap in credulity of so much time being spent tearing down the spore drive and remaking the engineering section Uh, back into its pre-spore drive state, and uh, that it takes about 20 minutes to set it back up again. Yeah, they did say something in the last episode that they were, like, converting the ship back, right? Yeah. Huh. Ton of malingerers in that engineering crew, I think, just uh, (laughs) just sort of hanging around, not doing their jobs. I was a little surprised that Jet Reno wasn't in the engineering department. I, I guess she must have gone on the Enterprise at the end of the last episode. Yeah, maybe. Um, speaking of what to tell your boss, Pike kind of justifies using the spore drive, uh, <laughs> despite like how dangerous we know it is now, um, as a kind of like, we'll ask forgiveness, not permission kind of thing. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem like they're far enough away that he should be making a call like that just kind of on the fly, but he definitely does not blow in a call to Starfleet command to check in on whether this is cool and so they send stamets down there to like get in the spock box and get plugged in it seems like they're going to be off to the races but we we get a brief scene where stamets expresses to telly like how much fear he has of the kind of emotional ramifications of doing spore drive right now because of his interaction with a beyond the grave hugh culber in you know, toward the end of last season when he was doing the the dozens and dozens of jumps to to kill the Klingon ship of the dead. I love how he's given just enough time to express his concerns with the situation, but not enough time to reveal a conclusion. 
in that, and I think it serves this story in this episode particularly well, because if given the choice between choosing a world where Dr. Culber exists and remaining on the discovery where Dr. Culber is dead, uh, he does not express what that choice would be if he were forced to make it. And that's kind of the core question of the episode, right? In what world do you want to live when confronted with a possible uncomfortable truth? Yeah. Uh, but he's uh, he dutifully agrees to, to do the jump. And, um... and so does Pike. Like, this is breakneck speed exposition. Like, they explain what a spore drive is to Pike. Pike approves of its use. Uh, given his two sentence description of it, like <laughs> if they they needed six episodes to describe what this technology was in season one, yeah, and Pike just gets it naturally. There's a point where Saru is like, "Hey, do you have any more questions about this?" And he's like, "No, not really." <laughs> yeah, he uh, he almost turns to camera and um, and says, and maybe Rob can just drop the audio in here. Be bold. Be brave. Be courageous. Black alert. Uh, get, a, get a thesaurus, Pike. <laughs> yeah. it's, like, uh, it's like when they tell you that tampering, disabling, or destroying the yeah. lavatory smoke detector is strictly forbidden. Yeah. It's like, you don't need the second two because they're covered <laughs> by the first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I thought the third part was going to be be Starfleet. Yeah. Or be best. <laughs> what, what about be best? That's just as nonsensical as what Pike is saying here. Pike's like, I don't care, do you? Uh, they do the jump. Pike kind of creams his genes, and uh, and they are in orbit over a planet that has some some like Saturn-like rings, except for they're kind of all in different directions around this planet. They have not organized themselves into one ring system. Pretty beautiful looking. Yeah, cool planet. Uh, Stamets storms off, storms out of the Spock box, uh, not feeling really great about what just happened. But uh, Tilly's attempts to interrogate this moment are cut short because he's gone. Yeah, and I wonder if we will return to this moment later because it seems like, like he, it could be that he's just disappointed that he didn't see Hugh in. Yeah. In his, you know, jump fugue or whatever it's called, but uh, it could be that he did and is upset by that. Yeah, it's a scene that's pregnant with something. We don't know what yet. Anyways, they uh, start scanning this planet and they discover that it is rotten with humans. This despite being in the beta quadrant and an impossible distance from the uh the core of the federation and uh, and in their in their survey they discover that these humans are living a very primitive like pre-industrial lifestyle right a a no electricity lifestyle even yeah and uh and so like this is going to be an away mission but prime directive will be in play despite the fact that they're visiting a humans planet which is a fun uh is a very like hard star trek premise you know Right, especially when put in opposition with a couple of statements made by crew people on the Discovery, Pike being one of them. Pike says that they don't believe they've been brought here by accident as they yeah. prepare to go on the away mission. Yeah, he uh, he calls up uh, Arthur C. Clarke's third law, which is that uh, any alien 
like sufficiently advanced will be indistinguishable from a god and then in in comes kevin and he's like oh did somebody uh, refer to my existence <laughs> because i am very advanced and indistinguishable from a god so if i do anything bad don't think that you are in a position to judge me because <laughs> your morality just isn't going to be up to the task you know i don't like to talk about myself in this way but uh <laughs> people have called me angelic from time to time <laughs> i am stunningly beautiful i am told <laughs> by rashan who now that i think about it is kind of my own creation and therefore subject to my own whims i guess i'm kind of realizing that i have a, a bit of an ego problem and that's something i should probably be working on but you have no psychologist to fit my mind <laughs> we cut to the shuttle bay where uh, tilly is working the asteroid fragment problem and uh in so doing gets really fucked up in the process yeah. Uh, and uh, lest you were unaware of who was directing this episode, the god shot at the end uh, <laughs> where where Tilly's been thrown into the cargo and uh, our camera is shooting down from up top. Uh, it is one John Frakes at the helm of this one. And we get yeah. a couple of reminders of his presence during the ep. Yeah. And, and I really loved the camera work in this episode. It's like I, he he really knows how to how to live it up with the camera with directing the camera like he loves like putting it upside down or or uh you know shooting through stuff he's he's great yeah he loves uh rotating the camera around his characters as they think so the away team is captain pike commander burnham and uh lieutenant awoshakun who grew up in a luddite collective so her parents must just be fucking horrified by her career decisions <laughs> i love how she's given a nickname later ben it's owo what Is a she great really? nickname i yeah. missed that tilly calls her owo later on owo is a great nickname fuck yeah it's fucking solid She's a crew person whose uh, unique experience makes her suitable to go visit these people. I think that her experience should have been enough to have her tell them, let's not beam down right in the middle of town, because that could just blow our, our cover right off the bat. So but, many decisions in this episode seem based on time, though, yeah. and how little of it there is to tell this story in the confines of what is now a 40-some minute episode of Star Trek, unlike the first episode of season two, which was the full hour. They get to town and they, they go into this church, which is the location from which the uh, the distress signal that they picked up uh, is coming. And and like, like the first episode, the red beacon signal that they're hunting for you know, is nowhere to be found when they arrive. They uh, They keep not getting there in time, it seems like. They find this holy book that sort of looks like it's a, just a series of ransom notes. <laughs> um, the the church is like, you know, modeled on a like a colonial New England church design, but it, it clearly incorporates tenets of lots and lots of different religions. And um, the good, it's good that Pike's father was a professor of comparative religion, and that Michael Burnham is totally read up on all of Earth's holy holy text because they decode this pretty quickly 
despite the fact that nobody in the landing party has ever been in a church. I really love Sonequa Martin-Green's line reading of her familiarity with religious texts because (laughs) it almost perfectly neutralizes her feelings about them. Right. I'm familiar with the text of Earth's religions. Long time ago, I I was asked if I had any pets, and this was back (laughs) at a time when uh, I only had a cat with my wife. Uh And at this time, I wasn't really a fan of cats. And so my answer was, there is a cat that lives in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Like, that's the kind of neutrality that Michael Burnham uh, states her familiarity with the the subject here. It's, It's really funny to me. Yeah. It's it's almost hostile neutrality, you know? Yeah. I, I want you to know everything about how I feel this in the way I say it. Yeah. It isn't long before they're confronted by uh, someone from the town that they visited. He's Jacob, who uh, asks why the hell they aren't out in the fields with the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that's like, uh, it kind of reminded me of that episode of Deep Space Nine where Cisco and O'Brien have to have to work the fields. Yeah, I was looking all around for the punishment box, the sip, that's for sure. Especially yeah. after they're introduced to Mother. The uh, All-Mother. Yeah, who's the matriarch of the whole town. They're like, All-Mother? What is this? Horizon Zero Dawn? The medium successful PlayStation 4 game? I was wondering if uh, Jacob was going to feel guilty for being in the presence of a couple of females away from mother in this scene, (laughs) which is why he's in such a hurry to uh, take them to her, right? (laughs) Can't be in a room with these people. Yeah, yeah. Mother will be very cross. (laughs) I was a little confused. Like, we know the town is called New Eden, but sometimes the planet is called New Eden, and sometimes the planet is called Terralisium. Well, I think Terralisium is like Latin for uh, Eden. It would be like uh, heaven, heaven earth, right? Or earth heaven. So it's all different ways of saying the same thing. Well, yeah, I guess, I guess not because Eden and heaven are not the same thing as uh, Elliot Kalen points out in our, uh, (laughs) in our Star Trek five episode. Yeah. Yeah. I guess I, I was thinking the planet they call Terralisium and this, particular settlement they call New Eden. That's what I took it to mean. Because they say like, like, oh, is this your first visit to New Eden under the understanding that the away yeah. team are actually just travelers that are coming from a different part of the planet. Right. We're going to cross cut back and forth between the A and the B story. The B story, uh, it's becoming clear, is going to be the Tilly story, this ep, and her interest in putting her own life in danger something for which she is confronted by Dr. Pollard and Saru in uh, in Six Bay. Yeah, and she's she's just been talking to a uh another low-ranking officer. I don't I don't really know if there's like a a way to determine what somebody's rank is on this show by looking at their uniform. Is it are there pips on the command badge on the there on the communicator are, badges? But you never get close enough to May to really decipher how many dots she's got on it. Yeah. And she's got like a May's got like a West Indian accent or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um and she's she's standing there talking to Tilly when Saru and the doctor come in and, and Saru really just lays into into Tilly and everybody clears out of the room and it 
winds up becoming a an opportunity for Saru to kind of um, give some give some advice about you know don't make the entire show your responsibility. I thought the interaction between Saru and Tilly. Uh, as compared to the one between Michael Burnham and Pike was fairly telling because Saru's able to make his case based on uh, a number, like like they have a history together, right? Saru and Tilly do. And so Saru's attempt at creating an, a professional intimacy with Tilly is is right and confirmed and based on a relationship that we're familiar with. It works in a way that it doesn't with Pike and Michael Burnham so far because Pike's just asking her to trust him. Right. And and she doesn't because they don't have a relationship. Like Pike's open door policy doesn't mean much unless there's there's trust there and the only way to build trust is through experience. Right. So the planet is in big trouble. Some of the rings are starting to come apart and they're full of nasty radioactive stuff that is going to start raining down through the atmosphere onto the planet and killing not only the OA team, but everybody else also. And that means they've got to think fast. But Detmer's got like the scene from Terminator 2 where uh, Linda Hamilton's hanging on to the chain link fence. (laughs) I have a video of what's going to happen once these rocks rain down. No! (laughs) (laughs) Saru's like, where did you get that, Detmer? (laughs) She's like, I have like like a video art practice in my spare time. Stamets is able to watch it using his VR device. It's totally (laughs) horrifying to him because he's in it. (laughs) But this is a ticking clock, and it's something that nobody on the planet is aware of, which is big trouble. Yeah, it makes it hard because there's so much interference. You can't just beam them back up, and you can't just send a shuttle down. There there are complications involved. Back on the planet, the OA team breaks into the basement of the church which is kind of like a mad scientist workshop full of all this old dead tech that the people that live here uh still have because the the backstory on these people is that during the third world war they were taking refuge in this church while nuclear bombs were raining down on them and this red angel character like saved them and spirited them away to this planet and and so their religion has grown up around worshiping this this figure and like rejecting technology and uh, and like living on the land in a primitive style. This show really art directs well scenes like this. Scenes yeah. like the church basement, scenes like Harry Mudd's ship, the bridge of his ship specifically. Oh yeah, in the Short Treks episode. Yeah, uh, they really do a great job dressing these locations to make them look right. lived in. I think right. it's one of the best things that this show does. They're down there, they're looking for the the beacon that uh, that you know led them to understand that there were humans down here and, uh, and Jacob comes back and he is onto them. He's actually not as whipped up into the all-mother religion that all of his planet mates are whipped up into. His his lineage is that of science, and mm-hmm. his family never believed this was a supernatural occurrence, and, uh, and he believes that the away team are people from off-world and, and have, have been drawn 
to this place by his his beacon. Like this is something his family has been maintaining for hundreds of years, and uh, and in order to prove his theory to the All Mother and everybody else, he throws a stun grenade <laughs> at the away team, and when they wake up, they're they're like trapped in the cellar. So uh, fortunately, a Wosakun has some skills at him. A Wosakun making life-saving inventions out of household materials. A Wosakun <laughs> getting in and out of ultra-sticky situations. A Wosakun that girl's a friggin' genius. A Wosakun. <laughs> well played. <laughs> so they get out of there. I don't know if it matters, but uh, the character we've been calling Jacob is credited as Joseph on IMDb, and I wonder if the name Joseph is too loaded, uh, given the religious connotation that, of that name, hmm. uh, and which is why he's known as Jacob on the show and referred to as Jacob on the show. Or maybe the person that filled out the IMDb was only half paying attention yeah this always gets me into trouble i refer to the imdb and it's frequently wrong it makes me look like an idiot (laughs) (laughs) so stupid i mean it's okay i look like an idiot on this show too uh back up on the ship tilly is uh rocking a diane von furstenberg style uh hospital gown uh-huh. and uh she's she's uh she's in six bay with may talking through this puzzle of how are they going to get all of these radioactive rocks not to hit the planet and in kind of batting the ball back and forth they come up with the idea of using the asteroid fragment that's in the shuttle bay as kind of like a like a gravitational sink like it's it's super duper dense so It'll it'll uh, it'll make a strong enough gravitational field to attract all these rocks, and if they can kind of tow it using using the Discovery's tractor beams, they can change the trajectory of these of these radioactive rocks, and uh, and they put this together like the like she runs up on the bridge in her in her wrap dress, and very quickly Detmer gets the message that she's going to have to do some fancy flying, and uh, and they do it. This is lowest common denominator science, and I don't mean that disparagingly at all. I just mean that, like, there's real science happening here, and it is explained in such a way that makes it clear to anyone without a science background. Like, right. Like, you get it. Lots of gravity collects little things. By dropping this thing out of the Discovery poop chute, yeah. they're going to be able to affect some, some change to the movement of these objects. And it's a fun payoff, right? Because I don't think in the last episode that we got anything to lead us to believe that that asteroid fragment was super dense. But when the one, you know, piece the size of a hundred-sided dice comes off of it when Tilly's collecting her core sample and right. crushes the table next to her, uh, it really illustrates that that case really well. I like the order, too, right? We're, we're showing before telling. Like, if yeah. you didn't get it from the show, we're going to tell you later. And then we're going to show you again. Yeah. Show tell show, <laughs> and uh, and it was I thought it was a, a very fun sequence and a really like nice extended uh, CG sequence with the ship doing this pull and then like s- spore driving out of the way before the rocks start breaking up. I uh, I loved it. 
what Jacob has done uh, in the time it took for Pike, Owo, and Burnham to escape the basement is showed Mother all the junk that they had in their bags. Yeah. And, and this junk is all the tech that they had. And it's... Jacob's making the case that these people aren't from here at all. They're from the other Earth. And they were led to believe that... that OG Earth didn't exist. Right, that it was destroyed in the war and that they're the only survivors and that like it's their like their responsibility to keeping the species alive is to not fall into the bad ways of technology. So the fact that that Jacob has like any interest in technology at all is actually kind of anathema to what the all all mother's teachings are. This is the moment that really brings to a point the conflict between General Order 1 and and what they're seeing on the planet's surface. Like, Jacob is imploring Michael Burnham to tell Mother that he's right, to confirm what he's saying. She never gets that opportunity because Pike jumps on a phaser grenade and uh, gets taken back to the church to be patched up. Right, and uh, and rather than being patched up, uh, what we see is, uh, you know, all mother and Jacob busting through the door just as they're transported out of there. Yeah. And immediately all mother interprets this as the, as the spirit, like, you know, taking them away and, and doing some kind of miracle. Right. Um, and, and it's, you can see that Jacob is pretty crushed by the way this has gone down. I was crushed the way it went down on him. I, I thought it totally sucked for him. Yeah. It it, uh, it was heartbreaking to see that. But uh, we're stacking success upon success, Ben, because like doing donuts on the Discovery, not only is that mission successful, Pike's going to live. He's going to have some sore ribs, but he got beamed off the surface just in time to save his life. You asked earlier if there was anything I ought to tell you. There is something that Michael Burnham has not told her boss. And that is that she saw this red angel when she was uh, when she was struggling with the glowing uh, chunk of shrapnel in her leg on the on the asteroid in the past episode, and uh, you know she she had interpreted it as a hallucination or at, at the very least as something that nobody would believe her when she told them, and so like. You know, there's a there's a moment in the beginning of the episode where it kind of almost looks like she's about to tell him about it and then kind of quickly changes her mind. And in this scene, it seems like um, she's like developed a level of trust with Pike and a, a level of common cause with him that she's willing to admit this. Burnham just needed 30 more minutes to come <laughs> to terms with the idea of telling him this. Yeah. It's an interesting scene because it's like where they decide to go make a deal with Jacob and it's uh, it's amidst new context, and it's kind of a conversation that very much mirrors the Lorca maniacal rant about context is for kings, but it's by like two sane people having a conversation, right? Which I really liked. I thought for sure Pike was going to say context was for kings. Like there's a little <laughs> bit of a hitch in his verbal giddy up in that moment, and then it'd be like dun 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 dun. And just like cutting in on on Burnham's face as as horror washes over it. (laughs) He's like, let's make it a little darker in here. (laughs) Long live the Empire. 
in Tilly's quarters, she's uh, doing a little bit of of research because at the conclusion of the Disco Donut mission, uh, something doesn't quite hang together with this May character. Yeah. And so she's like, this May seems familiar with me and and to me, but I need to do my own research. So Tilly goes back to her quarters and slams in a eight-track cassette of her old junior high yearbook. <laughs> and uh, and the signatures in a junior high yearbook from this time period are holograms. Yeah, like Tasha Yar funeral holograms. And, yeah. Uh, and she's got a young version of May Ahern, uh, you know, wishing her well. And then Tilly's like, oh, Ahern, that's her last name. Computer, where where does May Ahern live on this ship? Computer spits back that uh, nobody under that name is currently stationed on the disco. And Computer was like, May Ahern disappeared on a night just like this one. <laughs> Until he goes, May Ahern is a g g g ghost? <laughs> it sounded like a starship dropped off the Empire State Building. <laughs> So uh so that's uh that is that remains unresolved at the end of the episode. Yeah. Uh, it kind of reminds me a little bit of how they treated uh Jet Reno in the last episode like seems like something something is fishy going on with some of these characters and maybe they know something that you know that we don't know. This is a show after a season that is telling you that it's not going to resolve things episode to episode. Right. You just have to go into it ready for that. You're never going to know what's a what's a storyline that is part of the myth arc and what is a monster of the week storyline and they're going right. to like intertwine and commingle the entire time. It felt effective in season 1. Yeah. Yeah, and it feels very effective here. Um they go back to the uh, workshop or at least Pike does and he he uh, does not uh, he doesn't change into civilian garb this time. He's in his he's in his captain's uniform, and he talks to Jacob, and uh, and they make a trade. Um, Pike kind of reveals who he is and and what he does, and and then trades Jacob a a long lasting power cell for the helmet cam of a soldier that was in that church when whatever went down went down. Ben, I think you could probably articulate this better than I could. At least I hope so. But <laughs> why does he do this? Why why does he break the general order for Jacob by making this trade? I think that he and Burnham both feel bad that they lied to Jacob's face when Jacob knew what was true. I mean, it seems like if somebody is aware of who you are and what you are, general order number one is complicated by that, right? Right. If not compromised and dissolved. Right. But also like they like what Michael Burnham makes the case for in our conversation with Pike is that the red beacons are potentially an existential threat to the Federation. And so one little violation of the prime directive is probably worth doing in order to save everybody's life. Yeah, see, I saw this episode a couple of times, and I never thought they made a strong enough case that the existential element of their mission superseded General Order 1 here. I know, and I think that it's... 
having seen trailers for this, I've heard the phrase, somebody is going to try and kill all life in the galaxy, get uttered in the trailers a bunch of times. And so I feel like it almost rests on you having gotten that piece of information. The thing is, every time we see a red angel, it is just before a life is saved. You know? Yeah. So I'm getting mixed messages here. Hmm. And And it doesn't appear like anyone in the Federation is. Yeah, and there's the and there's that other element of like ascribing intentionality to everything that's happening. You know, like Pike says like, "Oh, we were brought here," you know, and and then Saru like takes that and runs with it when yeah. he's deciding what to do about the planet being destroyed. Yeah. Um so yeah, uh hard to know. But uh they make this trade, the church gets lit up uh and for what we understand to be the first time in a long time. I think uh, Jacob may have done these connections wrong because it is a Griswold amount of light coming out of this church. I don't think anyone's going to be happy going into that church at night. Is that is that a unit of electricity, a Griswold of light? Yeah. <laughs> we got a, a quiet little scene at the end where alone in his ready room, Pike watches the video from the helmet cam and... I thought it was interesting how much the camera is facing away from the screen he's watching. It shows us a very little bit of some soldiers uh, rushing people into this church. Uh, But for the most part, we're watching Pike's face, and then we cut back to a very brief glimpse of the angel uh, character before before the video cuts out. That's the ep. I thought these soldiers should have looked like those uh, those drug sniffing soldiers that uh, Q plays in Encounter at Farpoint. <laughs> I would have been really excited. Like I hate that. That would episode, have been a great callback. Yeah, that would have been such an awesome callback. And so they just look like regular, like modern soldiers yeah. from our perspective. Yeah, yeah, missed opportunity, Ben. Good call. Oh well. Did you like this episode? I really did. Uh, very fun Frakes directing. Um, a very it felt very Star Trekky, you know, like a like we pull up to a planet and do a mission at the planet, and it makes us understand something new. Um, and uh, and yeah, I, uh, I thought there were some like genuine moments of like earned comedy, you know, Tilly running around in the hallway was was really funny to me, um, and I thought that it didn't ever get too bogged down in in anything you know like it it gives it gives you everything you need to understand this story without without dragging in any part because we we always watch star trek discovery episodes twice before we record and that's felt like a drag a couple of times but uh this did not it was it was really fun to watch two times i felt like i understood new things about it the second time i watched it through you know yeah yeah. Like the, like that first scene that May appears in and the way she's totally ignored by the doctor and Saru when they walk in, uh, it didn't, didn't occur to me the first time, but on the rewatch, I was like, oh yeah, like we get no indication that they're aware of her presence in that scene. The show, I mean, that's baked into the show's DNA, begging you to rewatch it for yeah. the reward of those scenes. Totally. Uh, did you like the episode, Adam? You know, like related to the rewatch element of it i wonder if i'm going to feel very different about this episode four episodes from now (laughs) because this is a show that 
even before we got the premiere of season two, stated the case that this was going to be a season about science versus faith. And the show right now is asking a lot of questions it's not going to answer because it's just episode two. But there's a real contemporary feeling ache to Jacob's circumstance in, you know, the conflict within him about uh, the knowledge that he feels like he has and the ignorance of those who control his circumstances and the way he lives. Yeah. And it really made me think a lot about, and this is not like, this is not the show where you and I argue these points, but like the difference between life and quality of life was something I thought a lot about here. Hmm. And that's really what gets at the core of what general order one is all about. And I never for a moment wavered from the thought from Burnham's side of this early on, which was like, these people are kin, these people are from Earth, like keeping them in the dark about the circumstances is wrong. Yeah. I did feel like that and I do feel like that. Hmm. And it's what made Jacob's story a tragedy. When they just left him there with that big battery, it seemed sufficient for him to have been told he wasn't crazy about his feelings. Yeah. And to me, nothing is more insufficient than that. Like they they paid off his his suspicions, but he's in prison now for the rest of his life, like with this knowledge. He's surrounded right. by idiots <laughs> who are willfully ignoring the truth around them. And I feel like that's a special kind of hell. And if they don't if they don't return here and find out how awful of a punishment that was for him, then I'm going to be disappointed because yeah. to end this episode on a high note, it's not true. Like it's, it's not a good ending or a happy ending. I should say for him, the character Marasta in that episode, first contact of TNG, mm -hmm. when she discovers that, you know, life exists outside of their planet. She gets to stay. She, yeah, she gets to go with the Enterprise. Yeah. And Saru got to go into space when he figured it out. Yeah. This, what do they call it? Cafeteria Catholicism? Like, you just, you just <laughs> pick what you want from the buffet line? This yeah. buffet line of General Order 1, like, it doesn't work for me. I, I get the sense that we're this is not the last we're going to see of these people. Yeah. They really pregnantly left a, uh, I believe we'll see each other again in, in the end of the episode. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping that that gets resolved at some point. Yeah. Uh, one thing we always resolve is the priority one inbox, Ben. You want to see if we have anything over there? Let's do it. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Adam, we have a couple of Priority One messages here. The first one is from Curtis, and it is to Lisa. goes like this. Thanks for going with me to the last Greatest Gen Con show in San Francisco. Wow. It was fun to meet Ben and Adam with you, even though you were only present as a picture of yourself rolling your eyes and pointing a phaser at your head. Mm. <laughs> P.S. Thanks, Uncle for the papier-mâché Spock hand doing the Vulcan salute. Please come take your sticker down. I got to say, a a paper-mâché Spock salute hand... It's, uh, it's papier-mâché. Paper-mâché. This is a P-A-P-I-E-R, which is pronounced papier. <laughs> I think that's a creepy thing to have around, just a disembodied hand. 
<laughs> I can't get with that. That's gross. Yeah, don't take your sticker down. Yeah, get that sticker down too. Ben, the second priority one message we have here is from Sam, high price Starfleet consultant. <laughs> it is for Captain Adam and acting Ensign Brad. Oh, oh, no, I know who this is. Message goes like this. You are two of the finest officers I've served with on this starship called Life. Adam, <laughs> your heart and command decisions remind me of Cisco <laughs> and what it is to do the work we do. Acting Ensign Brad, your ability to travel the galaxy with me, put on pants and not kill me like Arma speaks to your capacity to love others. <laughs> like a Dax loves its host body. <laughs> wow. Sam, Adam, and Brad, uh, all three close, close friends of DeSoto, and uh, real-life friends of ours. Yeah, some 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 great young gentlemen doing uh, doing the good work. Yeah, as we speak. I like that Brad is uh, has been promoted to acting ensign. He used to just be the boy. <laughs> yeah, jeez, like a Dax loves its host body. Yeah. You know how a Dax loves a toast body, Ben? <laughs> going up in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, getting up in them guts. Well, if you want to get up in our Priority One messages, you can do that over at MaximumFun.org slash Jobotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200. They keep this program going, Ben, every yeah. single week. Thank you. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com 
slash Trek 50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself a drunk Shimoda? Oh, God. Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. That is so corny. Don't do that again. <laughs> That's two episodes in a row, man. It's going to be a thing. <laughs> You're stuck with it. Uh, you keep doing that weird beard thing at the end of DS9. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take this one. <laughs> yeah, but that's like corny intentionally. <laughs> you don't think I'm being intentional? I don't know. I suspect otherwise. Um, my, my drunk Shimoda is, uh, is Michael Burnham for having mm. a mind as dirty as ours. Um, <laughs> at the uh, end of that first uh, mycelial jump. Captain Pike is like clearly creamed his jeans, and Saru uh, says, "You never forget your first. And uh, and they just they just cut to a little reaction on Michael Burnham, where it's clear that she has interpreted that in a in the sexual way that I did. So uh, <laughs> I I I really liked that the show knew that that's how that would read, and also like and also that Saru didn't know that that's how that would read. So it was funny. And good. Did you have a drunk Shimoda? This is a show that really likes its reaction shots, huh? Sure does. Um, I'm gonna give my drunk Shimoda to Jacob, who I'm <laughs> like he knows what a grenade does, obviously. <laughs> but he has to have so few of them that to use one in this moment I feel like is sort of an insane move. Yeah, very precious thing. He in can't his be context. sure that this isn't gonna kill them, right? Like, how right. many grenades could he have? Is he, like, going out into the woods and detonating one just to see what happens? <laughs> his knowledge of this device is, is the thing that gives me pause. And yeah. his intent to use it without knowing its full capabilities is what makes him my drunk Shimoda. Like, mm -hmm. that kind of seems like... <laughs> that's really pegging the needle in that moment, Jacob. Yeah, seriously. Careful with that grenade. <laughs> Well, this has been a good time for me, Ben. Uh, I love that Star Trek Discovery is back. Ben, you got to tell me what's coming up on the next episode of Star Trek Discovery. 
Well, we got a little, uh, little edited package, and, uh, it looks like this is gonna feature Klingons with hair, Ash Tyler, and probably, uh, Section 31, Evil Giorgio. You know, I've been, uh, considering getting a vasectomy recently, <laughs> and, uh, like, the one name for that that isn't is a edited package. That's what they should call that procedure. <laughs> yeah. Get your uh, get your package edited, Adam. <laughs> All right, we'll leave it we'll leave it there. <laughs> we'll let Rob take it from here. Thanks for listening. We'll let Rob save the show from us at this point. <laughs> The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte, and our theme music and interstitials are by Adam Ragusia. You can support this show by heading on over to MaximumFun.org slash donate, or by leaving us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. When using social media, please use the hashtag GreatestDiscovery or GreatestGen. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR. Adam is at CutForTime. And I'm at Rob K. Schulte. Thanks, we'll see you next week. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.